This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 382. And the quote of the day is, it takes 10,000 hours to master your craft. That's eight hours a day, five days a week, 44 weeks a year for five and a half years. You better get started. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. And beyond. And beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here. This is episode 382 of the podcast, and I hope all is well in your world. And for those of you who have been following along, I'm getting heavy on Instagram. I'm also doing a thing called Nick Pick Me. And that is a way for me to give away things to my audience, the people who interact with my content the most. And the way that it works, it's super simple. On Instagram, go to my profile and turn on post notifications. Anytime I post something, leave a comment and use the hashtag NickPickMe and I will pick random winners for all sorts of stuff like books, gear, uh, consulting calls with me, all sorts of stuff, all free. Uh, and you can, you can keep entering so or not even entering but you can keep participating i should say even if you've won that doesn't mean that you won't win again so turn on your post notifications use the hashtag nick pick me and as soon as i post something make sure that you leave a comment and leave something thoughtful that adds to the conversation and not just you know a thumbs up or a heart or you know a, a fist pump or whatever it is so Check that out on Instagram. Like I said, that's a good way for you to win some free gear and all that fun stuff. Now that that is said, let's get into this conversation. And this is an episode with Aaron Comis. And I've had him on the episode or on the podcast before, excuse me. And he was episode 103. So that was a few years back. And we talk about his history. He was in, you know, he's in the band Spin Doctors. We talk about how they started that band and got signed to a record label and all that sort of stuff. We touch on it a little bit here, but this is, it's, we, initially decided that we were going to do like a topic-based thing about the difference between being a sideman versus being a band member. And we talk about that towards the end of the, uh, the episode, but the beginning part is really about discovering who you are, having self-awareness to focus on the things that you're good at, maybe not focus on some of the things that you're, you're not good at. How do you go down that road and sort of the art of constantly reinventing yourself or, or making sure that you're doing things that are going to be the best for your career, whether it be you know, playing full time, playing part time, whatever it is. Uh, so a really insightful conversation from a guy who has been doing it for years. I mean, he had that he had a hit single 30 years ago and has been going strong ever since. So definitely a guy who can shed some light on on staying true to yourself, being self-aware, reinventing yourself, all of that fun stuff. So let's get into it with the one and only Aaron Comas. Aaron, what's up, man? Long time no talk. Hey, Nick. How are you, man? Good to be back here. I'm doing well. So uh, we were just talking off air. You were number, uh, you were number 103. You, we had you on before, so now we're at you know we're in the 360s or something like that. So I'm sure that wow. a lot has happened for you in the in the last couple of years. You were on May 10th of 2015, so it's been you know it's been okay, a while. Cool. Yeah, time flies. Um, so for anyone who wants to sort of get the backstory on Aaron and and hear about 
all of his, you know, his coming up through the ranks and everything with Spin Doctor. And we're going to talk about that more in, in this conversation, too. But if you really want to get the real detailed backstory, check out uh, episode 103 with Aaron. And we were, he and I have been just chatting back and forth, and we were thinking it would be a great idea to have a topic-based uh, conversation about the sideman idea versus the idea of being in the band and being part of the business and and you know royalties and 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 mailbox money and all of that kind of stuff so uh before we get into it i want to i just want to see what's been going on with you man i know that you have i know you have a new record coming out i know you um you've been playing with the air-conditioned gypsies like what's tell me tell me what's been happening cool well um it's been a busy time you know i've been uh you know, active with my own groups. I have a couple of my own groups that I play, you know, not a whole lot with, but like usually at least once a month or so around New York, mostly. I have my own original uh, original music instrumental group, I call it. And it's with the same guys I've had for a while. The core of the group is Teddy Kumpel on guitar, Richard Hammond on bass. Um, Leon Grumbaum has kind of joined the band on Sam Chilean. And we have various guests coming in. Keith, uh, Keith Loftus, a great sax player, has been playing with us a lot. Steve Bernstein did a couple gigs with us, and nice. uh, so that's been great. And I, and I have a new record coming out. We'll we'll talk about that in a minute because it's a little bit different. But the other group I have is called the Air Conditioned Gypsies, which is basically a collective of musicians, and it's an all improvisational based group. And I always use different people. I've had a lot of repeat musicians, you know, that mm-hmm. have worked out well. And that's something that for a while I was doing it a little more. Now I'm kind of doing it maybe a couple times a year, and it's it's a blast, you know. Right. Um, and then I have my jazz quintet, which really hasn't been that active. I did a record with that group of about three or four years ago. But, um, you know, my main group, which is the original music then, has been, I'm kind of been kind of taking that and kind of melding all the different directions of all the different groups that I've had and kind of bringing it into that. So that band has really um, grown a lot and developed over the years. It's been, it's been a blast. It's, it's kind of like, for me, it's almost, it's kind of like my ultimate creative outlet because it's, right you know, performing, doing all this other stuff that I do, um, which I consider all very creative and very different, which is obviously a lot of what we're going to talk about today. But, you know, having my own group has been such a fulfilling thing for me, not only from a compositional point of view, because I like to write music, but from a drumming point of view, just creatively to really be able to kind of have an opportunity to just do exactly, to really do whatever I want and just be super creative and experimental. And um, it's... It's great because, you know, we don't often get a lot of opportunities to, to do that. It's, it's, it's great when that does happen. Right. And again, every, every style of music is different, and I, I consider them all equally. For me, I, I'm, I'm equally fulfilled by a lot of different styles of music. And, and the, the, the goal is always the same to me, which is to create really good music no matter mm-hmm. what it is. But, but obviously, you know, this has been really cool. It's kind of just enabled me to, you know, have my own, something that really re- represents me as a, as an artist right and, uh you know it's been it's been great so on top of that um and that's really a very small percentage of what i do even though it's at the top of my list of creativity and importance to me it's probably takes up the least of my time you know i'm uh, what takes up a lot of my time is traveling around with the spin doctors we do not a ton but we do probably let's say we average maybe i don't know maybe 30 40 shows a year we mm-hmm. usually do fly dates we fly in and out and that's been great it's we're actually, believe it or not, approaching our 30th year in, wow. in the fall, which is wow. right. And that's basically the same thing for when I moved to New York, because I met those guys pretty soon after I came to town. So 30 years and uh, we have a lot of shows coming up this summer. So that's been great. You know, the band sounds sounds really, really good. And obviously we'll talk more about that. And um, 
I did. I did. I played with this guy, a really great artist over in Germany named Marius Westerdegen. He's like a really big, well-known, important artist in Germany for mm-hmm. you know going going on forty years. And a lot of the musicians are New York City musicians. So I've been working with him for about seven years. We've done about three records with him and seven or eight tours. And we recently did an unplug MTV Unplugged show and record, which just went platinum over there. We had a really successful tour last summer. So nice. he's he's doing another. Uh, another run in august i'm going to go back and do that how do you how do you get a gig like that well you know basically in that case i got called by my friend kevin bentz who's a a guy that i've known for 20 years 25 years in new york city he's a great uh, musician he is he was marius's producer and band leader and marius made a record um that he produced about seven years ago and he was kind of changing his band around. And he basically just said to Kevin, he's like, I want you to, you know, I'd like to, I'm looking for a drummer. You know, do you have any suggestions? And so, you know, Kevin mentioned me and, and he played some stuff that I played on some, you know, he knew me from the Spin Doctors, but Kevin played some other stuff that I had played on. And uh, and he liked the way he heard and he basically just hired me, you know, and I cool. went over there and obviously it's gone well because I'm still there. Yeah. So, you know, um, I just had a run of dates with Joan Osborne. We did a record this year called Songs of Bob Dylan, which was a you know Bob Dylan covers album, which is great. Amazing. A L- lot of studio work this year. I have my own studio that we've done a lot of stuff in, and uh, so you know, on all kinds of gigs around town. You know, it's a, it's it's good, and it's 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 a juggle, but it's uh, which I think is one of the things we're going to kind of you know talk about today is how to how to juggle all these different things and how they all are similar, but also very, very different. Right. I mean, I think that, and not I think, I mean, it's it's a fact now that that is what has to be done, you know, unless you're in, you know, unless you're in a band that, that is playing a ton of dates and, and raking in a bunch of money where you don't have to do anything else. Um, but by and large, like, if you want to, if you want to do this, you're, you're a work for hire or you're, you're a, even if you're doing your own thing, you know, unless, unless you're playing to, ridiculously large rooms you got to juggle a bunch of different things you know yeah i mean it's interesting for me it's it's, it's certainly there's a, there's a couple reasons why i do it i mean for one you know when i first i mean i've been playing drums since i was nine and i've always really been a hard worker and i'm somebody that you know practiced a lot i still practice a lot and i've always really legitimately been into just a lot of different types of music ever since i was a little kid i was kind of equally into you know led zeppelin as i was miles davis and still am Mm -hmm. so so you know growing up i really not only did i enjoy listening but i enjoyed playing and studying all these different styles of music so you know i i did a year at berkeley and then i did and then i moved up here to new york and went to the new school for a while and really the reason i moved to new york because i figured it's going to be either new york or la you know and uh, I, i picked new york just because it appealed to me i liked the city i liked a lot of the music that came out of here i've always been a big jazz head and you know it was like the hub of all these heroes of mine so i was all of a sudden going to a school where a lot of my heroes were teaching at you know and um mm-hmm. but when i but when i came here it was kind of open ground it was like okay well what am i going to do i i, I want to be a session guy i want to be a jazz guy I'd love to be in a in a rock band. You know, there were all those those really those three things were equally appealing to me. And I wasn't really sure which one it was gonna be. I was kinda like, I'm gonna be ready for all of them and I really want to do all of them. So ultimately I kinda hoped I would. And now here we are thirty years later and after a lot of work and a lot of time 
and you, you know ups and downs i've kind of got my career in a situation where i'm actually doing all three of these things but mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't always like that and early on you know i think well anybody has to at some point it's important to make a choice you have to you know obviously in any profession focus is very important and you know sometimes people will say well you know you should you should focus on one thing you should just be if you want to be a jazz drummer then you should put all your time into that or if you want to be a, a guy that can play in the studio you should put all your time into that and for me it was just like I couldn't just focus on one thing. I had to do them all. And, it, you know, so you just spend more time, <laughs> whatever. But, right. you know, but I mean, I, I, I did. I was definitely one of those guys that that practiced and listened and spent many, many hours uh, working on my craft when I was younger and, and, and continue to. But basically, so I get to New York, you know, and I'm at the school and I'm studying. I start taking lessons. I'm sure we talked about this in the last podcast, but for all the mm-hmm. people that are tuning in now, you know. I was really lucky I got to pick a drum teacher in New York, and I picked Bernard Purdy, who was one of my, you know, he's one of my absolute favorite drummers. Of course. Um, and uh, I started studying with Bernard, which was great, and, you know, started doing gigs. You know, I got, I started going on auditions and flipping around the back. Then it was like you'd flip around the back of the Village Voice and, you know, drum audition at so-and-so studio. So I went to all these auditions, and most of them were pretty crappy, you know, so most of them you'd walk in there and, pretty much immediately you'd realize you weren't interested. But every now and then, so I walked into this one thing one day, it was this funk band called Spade. These hardcore funk guys from like the Bronx, and I'm like this, I, you know, they're all brothers, and I walk in, I'm this like, you know, you know this white dude from Dallas walking in there, you know? <laughs> they they kind of look at me like, okay, let's see what this guy does. Right. And, 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 and the bass player was Mark White, who was, the, who was the guy that ended up being the bass player in the Spin Doctors. Huh. Anyway, so the the audition was great. I, I killed it. I got the gig. It was like it was really great. Just hardcore funk, and me and Mark hit it off right off the bat. And uh, so anyway, so I'm starting to get a few gigs like that and some other little things. And then I'm at the new school and I'm practicing behind a closed door. And there's a knock on the door one day, and it's Eric Shankman, who's the guitar player from the Spin Doctors. And he basically just says, "Hey man, you know you sound good." I'm looking for a drummer to form in a band. Do you want to play? And I was like, well, sure, let's check it out. It sounds good. And uh, he'd already met Chris, and they had written a few songs together, and he had this gig up at a fraternity house in Columbia University. So anyway, to make a long story short, we, um, we you know, rehearsed, put some songs together, did this gig, and started playing around town. And, you know, at the time I was just starting, I was just new in town. I'd been here a couple months. I'm trying to hustle gigs and I'm starting to get, you know, little gigs here and there. And, you know, after a couple months of, the, of playing with these guys, I started to really feel like this was a pretty cool thing. And this is, the songs were good. The, the chemistry in the band was really cool. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it felt like an opportunity where I could be really creative and have my own voice and, it was collaborative with the songwriting, which is something I'm interested in. So, and on top of that, people were digging it. So I just, I, you know, I made a decision. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to give this. Why don't I give this like a year? Why don't I go for this? Right. Rather than just run around and try to take every gig under the sun. That's really, besides like you know, which is cool, but I felt like this was an opportunity, and I wanted, I wanted to at least give it a shot. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I did, and you know, and. Over time, you know, pr- pretty really pretty quickly, we started to get a really good following around New York. And we were paying our rent and writing songs, and obviously one thing led to another. And you know, we got a record deal and toured, and bam, you know, we had a big hit. And, and so, 
you know, the point being is that it's important, I think, to, you know, to folk as much as important as it is to be versatile, especially when you're, you know, when you're working on your craft, you want to be prepared for any situation that may arise itself and then right. kind of look around and, you know, choose and decide, like, well, this is something that really is working for me right now, you know, on, on all the different levels that are important, which are obviously, first and foremost, at least from in my mind, is something that feels you know musically fulfilling and somewhere where you can grow as a musician and develop your own voice. That's that's the number one thing. Mm-hmm. And, and and obviously, let's face it, reality you got to pay the bills. You know, unless right. you're independently wealthy, you know, and don't care about that. You got to you got that has to factor into it as well. So that's never really been like the, the thing for me. I mean, I've, always, I've and I've also felt like if you're playing good music that you feel good about though that's always the thing that ends up working for people i mean anytime i've ever seen people try to like you know follow what's popular or try to do something that's just money driven it rarely works i mean it really does and people people fall into this trap so much i see it all the time always telling people especially like young artists you see like you know just falling into the trap of trying to emulate what's popular now i've always thought that was just the that's just the biggest mistake you can possibly make right and it's the biggest and just as far as being a drummer forget about being a band or an artist just as drummers you know obviously it's important for us to we all have our influences and our our heroes and, and that's how we get our own sound you know by emulating people but of course it's also really important to find your own voice and not try to be somebody else mm-hmm. and, and it, it happens a lot and it's always it's always the people or the bands or the artists that you know that find their own thing that are going to do better so i mean i just can't stress how important that is i think and on all levels of really anything you're doing is to you know be influenced but but do your copy. own thing there, yeah you know i see a lot of that with where you're talking about following what's hot i see a lot of guys who are like oh there's a couple people who are making a lot of money selling are doing online lessons. So I'm going to jump into that game. And it's like, well, even if they weren't teachers before, or maybe they don't even like teaching and they just kind of think, Oh, this is just a way that I can make a ton of money and, you know, do it online. So I'm going to do that. And most of those guys who get into it with that mindset fail, you know? Exactly. I mean, and you know, I think again, it's like figuring out, putting in the work and then figuring out, what, are you, what is it that you're good at? What is it that you offer? And just because you see other people doing something that they're being successful at, that doesn't necessarily mean it's the right path for you. You got to find mm-hmm. your own path. And it's you know we're we're definitely in interesting times. I mean it's it's because with social media so in our faces, and it's I think it's there's a lot of real positive aspects to it. There's a lot of really negative aspect aspects to it, but we're even more likely to feel that pressure of what everybody else is doing or looking at this guy or that girl or this thing and that band. And, right. and so as hard as that stuff was always before all this, it's really 10 times harder now, you know, because we're just inundated by it. We're in it. I mean, and that's our own fault. You know, I think, I mean, it's really easy, you know, put the phone down and stop looking at it and right. practice, you know, but, but even if you look at it a little bit, it's going to, and you know, you, you see it. So it's, you know, you have to, you have to really like, I think I'm just, you have to find what it is you're good at. I mean, that's a perfect example of what you said with these all these guys that are teaching. And there's just, there's some guys that do it really, really well. Right. And and uh, and that's a really great service because we've always needed great teachers. But I, mean, I, I consider the education field so important. I've I've been I'm one of those guys that I would there's no way I would have gotten to where I'm got where I've gotten without having the excellent teachers that I had. I was re- it was really just luck. I mean, I had all these amazing teachers. I grew up in Dallas and I had. 
I've had so many great teachers, mm-hmm. including, you know, including Michael Carvin, who I still study with now. I love um, Michael. I know you guys did a great, a great podcast, um, yeah. uh, you know, but, but, you know, he, so, you know, it's, it's a great service and, and, you know, every teacher's different, you know, and every, just like every player is different and, and that's a real art and a real skill in itself. So mm-hmm. there was something that you said that was interesting to me is like, figure out what you're good at, find out what you're good at and really, you know, double down on that. How do you suggest that people find out? what they're good at or how do you like i think there's a lot of and i hate this word it's like it's such a buzzword now but like self-awareness but i think there's a lot of self-awareness that goes into it of figuring out what you're good at but that's such a hard thing you know even for myself like looking in the mirror it's like okay what am i really good at and what am i not that good at it's hard because a lot of times we want to be something that we're not you know so many people will chase something that maybe isn't their strong point their whole lives. I mean, you've seen people get nowhere just by chasing something they're not good at. I mean, music's a crazy thing because it's so, it's so universally loved. Everybody loves music and think about it. I mean, and I don't mean to sound harsh here, but there are so many musicians out there that dedicate their lives and, and really just don't have it. I mean, I hate to say it, Mm, but it, but it's an interesting art form in the sense that, and again, there's nothing wrong with doing something for because it makes you feel good, but it also doesn't mean you're going to be good at it. And I, right. I it's really, it's kind of, it's, I've, I've thought about this a lot. It's a really bizarre thing. I think it happens in music more than maybe anything. Is just the number of people that truly have a have an incredible passion for it and dedicate their lives to it and can't actually figure out that it's they're just not going to they're not going to be able to do it. It's right. it's it's horrible. It's it's really horrible. <laughs> I think about guys like that where I'm like, you know what, if they have this passion for it and they have they have the ability to, you know, learn about it and everything and they're not good enough, then they should go into another area. They may be good at they may be really good at right. graphic design. It's like, okay, well then work well, in the yeah. music business doing graphic design or exactly. become a manager. It's like all these people who are who are failed athletes and they get into whether it be coaching or they get into like working yeah. in the marketing department for the football team or whatever. Well, and- I mean, I think, I think it's a couple of things. I mean, obviously the music business is, there's not as many opportunities in the music business as there were outside of, you know, of playing. But I think a lot of times too, it's that because I, I believe that there's two things that make a musician great or any artist great. I do believe in natural ability there's no question. Mm-hmm. Some people have a natural ability to do something or just born with something. But I don't care how much natural ability you have. You've got to work, work, work. You've got to put so much time. I mean, listen, you've talked to a lot of great drummers on this show. And pretty much every drummer that, you know, that's gotten to a certain level hasn't done it without hours and hours and hours of practice. So I think there's a lot. There's this fantasy with musicians that, you know, well, I just want to be a star. I just want to, you know, be a rock star or a pop star. And so they don't really put in the time. And that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of the danger zone. It's like, well, a lot of these people that have that passion, what is it they have a passion for? Do they have a passion for being a star or actually being great at their craft? Because I see a lot of people that are more obsessed with the idea of fame and having a successful career, but they're, but they're not really, and they're complaining about how tough it is. But I don't see them doing anything. Right. I mean, you know, it's like I right. scare kids off. I do. I do these, every now, I don't teach a lot, but I'll teach. People will sometimes call me and they'll, uh, hey, I'm in town, or my son wants a lesson, or whatever. And I'll, I'm always happy to do it. I love doing it, and I and I, I do the occasional drum clinic. I'm doing one actually on uh, Tuesday at Drummers Collective, 
And one of the things I talk about is like, especially with kids that are like, you know, college age, you know, let's say you're like seven, between 17 and 21. Mm-hmm. I had, I had a student recently and he came in and a good drummer too. And I said to him, I said, you know, you were so lucky because right now he's 18. I said, you got this window where you don't have to work. Your parents are totally supporting this, supporting you. He was going to music school. I said, you've got this opportunity right now to practice, dedicate all your time to music because the reality is you're either going to get really, really good and you're going to be working by the time you're like, you know, 22 or you're going to have to get a real job. You're not going to have time to, you know, it's like now I, I basically said, you got to do it right fucking now. And I said, you got to, pra- I said, you got to practice 10 hours a day, dude. I said, that's what I did. And I had to name all his favorite drummers. And I said, well, they all did the same thing. Yep. I said, when I was your, when I was your age, I was practicing 10 hours a day mm-hmm. and I was, pra- and I was playing with people for four hours at night. And I, that, I was just living drums and music. And, and if you do that, you don't have to do, you can't, nobody has time to do that their whole life. It's hard to do that when you're in, a kid and you're in school because you're in school all day. I mean, I, I was very dedicated and practiced really hard, you know, from, I started when I was nine and I got really serious in like junior high school and I was lucky to go to a performing arts high school. So I was actually playing, you know, playing a couple hours a day at school, mm-hmm. but I go, I'd go home and practice a couple hours, but you know, you don't have 10 hours a day, but that period where you get out of high school, man, between high school and like life. Yep. That's it. You got, and you can you can change your entire life in two years by doing that. It's just it sticks with you forever. Yep. And I always talk about that idea that like you don't have to do that forever, but everyone has to go through that period if you want to be like if you want to be great or you want to just you want to be you want to at least get close to mastering the craft right yeah and, i mean there's exceptions i mean there's guys like you know like there's great there's drummers like levon helm i mean he's one of my favorite drummers mm-hmm. in the world he probably never practiced like that but you know right. what he did do but every drummer that or, or bernard purdy i doubt that bernard purdy practiced 10 hours a day but you know what but they played 10 hours a day it's uh-huh. like you got at least i mean it depends on what you want to do but the bottom line is regardless of whether whether it's a disciplined practice or you have to live on behind those drums for that many hours, you know, it's like, you know, what's the saying? You, you need to play like for 10,000 hours. Oh, the 10,000 really, hours rule. Yeah. And, and I thought about, I heard that recently and I thought I added it up. I, you know, I got the calculator out and I added it up and it makes perfect sense. And I totally hit that number. You know, by the time I like moved to New York, I, I had done my 10,000. So, you know, I recorded two princes when I was 21. Right. At the power, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I'd, I'd, I'd already played for 10,000 10, hours. So, you know mm-hmm. what, if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have been able to do that. Right. <laughs> I'm convinced, you know. No, I, I, I'm, I'm with you, man. I feel, you know, there, there has to be a time when everyone sort of puts, puts their head down and just practices eight, ten hours a day for ten years or for a couple years, you know, two years, three years, whatever it is, and really, and really work their ass off about it. And then maybe when your head, when you lift your head up after two years, you really kind of realize, okay, is this something that's for me, or if it's not? Like for me, I could practice basketball ten hours a day for the next ten years. I'm not going to make it in the NBA, you know, like it's, right. just, it's just not going to happen. I'm like, right. I'm I see, too see, short. Yeah. I'm not fast. You know, all this other stuff. And but if I was super passionate about playing in the NBA, I would be like, okay, what's the next best thing? You know, coaching I mean, in the I mean, NBA. And, and, like you could be wanna... you could be five one and coach in the NBA. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I don't want to sit here and tell people they should give it up. I'm not saying no. that at all. I, I because I truly believe if you, I truly believe that anybody can become great. 
you know, anybody can. You have to just be smart about it. You have to have that passion. You have to put in that work. And I guess there does come – everybody hits a time in life where you go for something and it either works out or it doesn't. And that doesn't mean you have to stop. Mm-hmm. But you got to – you know, and, and re- usually that reality is like if you have kids or something or you, you know, you, you, you got to pay the bills, you know. So, right. But I mean – it's it's never it's the other you know the, the the other thing is it's never too late. I mean I've seen guys that you know that thought they were gonna they were gonna they were gonna wrap it up and then you know some opportunity comes along and things turn full circle you know so mm-hmm. I just had Carter you, McLean on. Do you know Carter McLean? Yeah, no, he's a great example of that. Like he's like I'm I know done. He w- he's like I'm done. I quit. Yeah. You know, and not yeah. quit playing drums, but he was like I'm not trying to pursue this. I'm not trying to do anything. And they're like, Hey, do you want the Lion King gig? And he's like, Oh, yeah, okay. exactly. Well, and and the, but there's a big difference is that Carter can play. You know what I mean? So it's like if you right. there's people there's people that just don't ever get to that point, and they have yeah. and then they they you know they have to. But but then there's also a lot of people that are really really talented and and you know excellent musicians that just haven't been able to get that break they need because let's face it there's tons of incredible musicians that never find the opportunity and maybe they maybe they were forced to to make that decision for reality reasons you know and and uh so a lot of it is that is that sticking through it and in like in carter's case you know obviously he's a great drummer and he got that opportunity it turned everything around for him and you know but it could have gone the other way he could have just walked away from it mm-hmm. which would have which would have been a shame you know yeah so yeah. it's there's a lot there's a lot of different different uh pieces to the puzzle you know but sure. you got to stay positive and um because even in the best situations i mean i've had i consider myself to have had a you know a, a pretty good pretty good career you know and i'm and i'm not i don't have any intention of stopping i feel i still feel just as motivated to learn and improve and and make really great music and find, discover new things as I did when I moved to New York. But I've been through a lot of ups and downs, you know. It's like right. I've, I've, experienced, I've experienced what it feels like to be on the very top, you know, to ride the top ten for a year and, and have platinum records and, you know, and have tons of money rolling in and all this, all this stuff and then kind of have that go away, you know, mm-hmm. quickly, you know. And the good news is that, like, the Spin Doctors, you know, the, that, that big – selling you know truckloads of record record thing is pretty hard to you know let's face it how many bands do that there's a few but it's hard yeah and after we kind of stepped away for a while in the late 90s and i you know i started opening up you know started opening up the doors for some other opportunities you know we five or six years later we got back together and started doing stuff again and here we are and we're like actually you know doing really really well again you know we're getting Mm -hmm. a lot of good gigs we got fans the band sounds great so it's it's something that i you know, appreciate it. I really kind of appreciate the band more than I ever have in a lot of ways. Right, you know? right, right. And, um, and, uh, but I've certainly experienced the ups and downs of the music industry. And it's something that you have, you have to be tough. You know, you have to be able to, like, okay, if this opportunity is going away, so here's the real thing you got to be ready for the next opportunity. And that's kind of like the whole idea of being prepared and really getting your shit together as a musician. Mm-hmm. Is if you want, if you want, I'm a lifer, you know, I've always been a lifer. You don't have to be a lifer, but for me, I've always known this is, this is just something I do. I'm always going to do it. I, I love it. I have yeah. to do it. So, so, um, I'm, I'm very glad that I did that prep work when I was younger and continue to. So I, so basically, you know, I, I'm able to, if an opportunity comes up, I'm usually able to handle it, you know? And mm-hmm. so over the, over the years, you know, after, after 30 years in New York, band guy 
late nineties started doing producing started, you know, kind of opened myself up more for like, Oh, I want to start playing more gigs with other people and getting into session work. And it took a minute, you know, because people knew me, I had a good reputation, but people thought of me as, Oh yeah, Aaron, he's a plays in the spin doctors. He's that guy. Nobody thought of me as like, Oh yeah, he's a guy that plays on a lot of records. So right. it took a minute. It took a minute. And over time, start playing around town more, start doing little gigs, start playing with this band, that band, this singer songwriter. Oh, if you want to play my record, this thing, this happens. And before you know it, you're playing with a lot of people and you're playing on a lot of records and you have a reputation all of a sudden as being a guy that can do that. So, but that took a minute. It was kind of like a rebuild in my career. And, and then the cool thing was, is once I got that thing happening and started working with other people like Joan and, you know, a lot of, a lot of great people like that, the spin doctors thing kind of came back around. Right. So bam, all of a, all of a sudden here you are and you got like your band back together and you got, you got this sideman session guy thing that you've been kind of nurturing now for a while. And then I started, I decided I wanted to start doing my own music and started making my own records and put my own band together. So, you know, it's like, it's, it, it takes, these things take a lot of time. You have to be patient and you have to really work hard at it. And, but if you're, if you are patient and you do do the work, you know, eventually hopefully you, you can take stock and look around and be like, Oh shit. All of a sudden I have like, I'm playing with Joan uh, for a week next week and I'm going to Germany to play with this guy, Western Hagen. And I got a spin doctor's gig and I'm going to play on Rachel Yamagata record next week. And Oh, my band's playing the blue note on my birthday. You know, that kind of shit. So it's mm -hmm. like, but that took 30 years, you know, that's, yeah, that's, that's, and it's a lot to juggle. And it's, and there's, there's also like, there's also problems with that, you know, with as it's, there's, I have, you, know, you have to deal with kind of like, you know, scheduling issues or, you know, as drummers, we hate to say no. So sometimes, yeah. sometimes, sometimes you have You're to like, say no. like, I'll figure no. it out. <laughs> you know, and you can't always figure it out, you know, uh, mm -hmm. you know, so it's, I mean, it's a good problem to have, but it's, but the, 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 the point is, is that you have to be patient and you have to, you know, keep your chin up when things aren't good. Cause everybody goes through slow times. Everybody has bumps in the road. I don't care who you are. I mean, I've talked to, you know, legendary drummers about this, you right. know, Dude, I just I just it. had a conversation with Josh Fries about it, you know? Yeah. Like he's like yeah. and he's like, I just got home flying private with Sting and like the phone doesn't ring in a week and it's like, oh my God, it's like yeah. is that the last gig I'm ever gonna play? You know? Like <laughs> exactly. Everybody. But you know, but I, I've I and I get I have that that sometimes and I've I've learned to get better. Like this year, I had such a busy year last year. It was just bam, bam, bam. And then typically January seems to be a slow month for me. Mm -hmm. So here we are. It's like January. I'm looking at my calendar and I was just, it was like, I didn't have a breath last year. It felt like January. I look at my calendar. I'm like, shit, I don't have it. I got nothing. And like, usually that would have just freaked me out. And I got to say this year, I was like, I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to enjoy this. And you know what I did? I went to my studio every day and I practiced and I, it got me back into this. I've gotten myself back into this really great, um, practice routine. I opened up all these old books and all these old things that I used to work on a long time ago and it got me really, it was just, it's been really cool. It's like been That's like, awesome. you know, and so, so it's like, you gotta like, you know, it's hard to do that because I've certainly had weeks where I didn't have work or where I got depressed. <laughs> you know, I can right. totally relate to what Josh was talking about. Yeah. But, but, but if you can try to turn those down times into creative times, you know, like, you know, it's, there's always something to do, you That's know? Cool. And yeah. uh, because the other thing is, you know, I see sometimes, sometimes like, you know, working too much can hurt you too. And this is, this is one of the reasons I went and started to see Michael Carbon five years ago, because I was just doing so much stuff. I'm running around this gig and that gig and spin doctors. And, 
And I felt I was ha- I was like, this is great. You know, I'm, my career is doing well. I'm busy. But I felt a little kind of like, well, where am I going from here? What do I, you know, I need a little like kickstart here, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's what Michael helped me do. And he was great. Because a lot, you see a lot of people. If you know, if you work so much, if you're running from gig to gig to gig to gig, learning songs, and it's just—I know how that feeling can be because I do it a lot. But it can also kind of, you, it can suck the creativity out of you too if you're not careful. You, know, you have to be careful with that. I think to obviously nobody, obviously being busy is great. I, I'm all, I'm all for that. Right. But you also got to make sure you find time for yourself. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously just on a human level, but we're, we're talking about music here. You got to find. I know for me, it's very important for me to, to find time to spend time with just me practicing, and also that's the biggest reason why I started doing my own records and for my own band because I wanted to have something that was just totally about me, something that represented me, a, a place where I could, you know, just satisfy myself. You know, mm-hmm. and get the musicians that I get the musicians that I wanted to get to to help kind of you know get my vision you know because yeah. we let's face it we're always doing that for other people mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so you know, i think it's i think it's important to find ways to stay creative there's so man there's so many things that that you just brought up that i sort of i want to start unpacking a little bit like one rewinding a little bit you were talking about how if it's not going to happen for you and like or, or stepping away because you have to because of this or that or maybe you have other interests or or things and I think there's so many people because I struggled with this for a little while too, that there's so many people who are like, well, this is what I've always done. And if I'm not playing drums, whether it be professionally or if I'm not playing drums at all, and that like that defines me and like the drum gods are going to are going to strike you down if you're like, you know what, I want to try like I want to focus my time on photography for a little bit or yeah. I want to or I want to focus my time on on something else it's like that's okay you can be the guy who plays 300 dates a year and all he does is play like play drums in his sleep like eat breathe eat sleep shit drums you can be that guy or you can be the girl who plays once a year like practices you know a couple times a month and has like 18 other things that she likes doing too and it's, absolutely and there's nothing wrong with that you know. Well, totally. I mean, it would look like exactly. You got to you got to do what feels right for you. And I mean, music is something that is universally loved. It's it's you know no, nobody started play, hitting a drum to make money. You know, whatever, right. you know what I mean? Right. But it, it is a, it does it be, you know you become it becomes a business when it, you devote your life to it. But I agree with you. You can't. It, it's important not to not to feel bad to get away from it sometimes or to, to spend time. I, I mean, I think that. You know, having other interests is really important, and it's you know going back to just being a musician. I mean, being a well a well rounded person is uh, is is so helpful. I mean, you know, it's all you know any kind of art. It's all so connected. I mean, like I love to cook. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm making some I'm making some ribs right now. Nice. I mean, that, to me, it's like music, really. I mean, it's like you know what makes a good to me what makes a good uh, dish. It's like I like to I like to cook very simple, so I get really good ingredients no matter what i'm making yeah i want to get like i want to go somewhere and get the best ingredients that are available and put them together mm-hmm. and you can't really go wrong you know it's like the same thing with music it's like you know if you put a bunch of top quality ingredients together and you have quality there what you know what can what can go wrong this reminds you know? me of so i grew up in the restaurant business my family's been in the restaurant business since the 70s so i i agree that that ingredients are what make it what uh you know what makes a good dish and 
coincidentally, now we're talking. Now this is the Food Network and not the Drummers Research. But that's cool. But so yeah. the, the other night, uh, uh, my business partner's wife came out, came out, and me, my wife, and and we all went to dinner, and we had this meal, and I was like, you know what's great about this meal that there's the spice. It's the right spices that are in here, and there's so much flavor. And there was so much, like, there was just so many different mixtures of flavor. And, I mean, it was absolutely delicious, right? But it wasn't overpowering. It wasn't covered in sauce. It didn't have, it wasn't, like, like, you can make something taste really good by covering it with, like, totally overdoing it. Put a bunch of salt, butter, and sauce over Mm -hmm. top of it. Or you can use the right ingredients. And I think that's the same way about a drum part or playing on a record or playing live it's like yeah you can like you can do all of this shit that's probably gonna like blow people away or you can just create the right combination behind the kit and just play the things that need to be played and just and create this recipe of very uh, when i say ingredients like very well thought out dist or or um um what's the word i'm looking for like very deliberate things that you're playing behind the kit versus like let me just throw all this shit in there and hopefully it'll taste good yeah i mean and i think that no matter what you're playing i mean that 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 way of thinking applies to anything you know regardless of whether it's the most simple simple if we're talking getting back to music the most simple form of music or the most complex it's i always like to use tony williams as an example of like the guy that plays extremely complex but not one note doesn't belong there everything's right. completely musical and 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 it just fits the music and you know that, that's a rare thing because that's that's a hard thing to do to play a lot of notes and sounds so so musical and um to me that's that's the that's what's key is you know serving the song and and kind of like you know getting back to all these different aspects that i'm doing between like spin doctors my own music and my in my band and then like you know playing on other people's records or, or bands it's really like even though the concept is the same and i have a i consider myself hopefully i like to think i have a style and a sound and and you know but but i do have kind of like i do kind of look at them all three differently as well you know like with the spin mm-hmm. doctors i'm kind of like it's kind of like i'm it's funny i'm almost like okay i gotta be now i gotta be that guy that i was like you know in my 20s you know Mm-hmm. And it's it's funny too, like especially when we hadn't done it for a while, and like now that we're doing it so much more the last ten years, you know, going back and listening to it, and I'm like, wow, you know, I mean, I, I think it sounds cool. I'm really proud of this stuff, but I'm like, that was kind of like it's almost like a different dude, you know? Yeah. But it's like, but but now that I'm like almost fifty, you know, I'm like, it's almost like that dude can be an influence to me now. I'm like, okay, well, shit, <laughs> I'm gonna go back. It's really kind of weird, you know? Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. because because when I play now, like. You know, with, with let's say I'm going in and playing on like a James Maddock record, who's this great, great songwriter I work with a lot, or, or Joan or Rachel Yamagata. It's like, it's not going to sound anything like the Spin Doctors, you know? It's, I'm not going to go in with the tight Brady snare and the, you know, it's just a different, but I'm really, I'm, I think it's really cool that I, I have that sound with, with the Spin Doctors, and I'm not going to show up now with the Spin Doctors and show up with like a deep, detuned snare drum like I might with somebody else because mm-hmm. it's not going to sound like the Spin Doctors anymore, you know? So it's important to kind of know what your role is and and do that and um as we're like with my own group my own music it's i i definitely play more complicated stuff in a lot of in a lot of situations than i would in other situations but i but it's musical you know it's not like it's not like i'm uh i don't i don't ever 
I, I'm not doing it to show off or to play, you know, this fancy thing. I, I you know, and, and that's something that unfortunately I think is is so common, particularly with drumming. Is this is the, and especially now, you know, just the I think a lot of it is the social media kind of the instant gratification thing. You know, you better impress somebody in five seconds, so they're going to flip to the next. Instagram posts, you know, you see these just, it's just one flashy lick after the other, you know, and it, it, for me, it doesn't do much for me, you know, right. that's why I talk about Tony Williams, I'm like, well, there you go, man, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you know, exactly. <laughs> that's music, you yeah. know, there's no, this, there's nothing about showing how fast I can blaze around a tom or how many symbols I have and how, you know, it's not about that at all, and that's, and all the great, great players realize that, and and there's nothing wrong with going. Th- Listen, the other thing is most people go through a period of that. I mean, there's not a lot of not a lot of drummers that play at a high level that haven't gone through a period where they were younger of overplaying. There's nothing wrong with that. It's almost healthy, I think. Yeah. But it's all. But it's important. That was my to, deal. That was my sound. It, yeah. We all did it. We all did it. I mean, look, I came up listening to Vinnie Calyuta, so I was right. going to go through that. I was going to go through to do that for a while. Of course. Um, but I mean, I figured it out real quick. You know, mm-hmm. one of the things I was lucky to figure out very early, like groove, 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 feel. I mean, one of the things I used to do at Berkeley in my 10 hours, I mean, I spent a lot of time working on my technique, you know, but I also would do this thing where I'd put a metronome on and, you know, and just play a beat for an hour. Boom, cut, boom, cut, boom. Straight beat, no fills, no variation to a click for an hour. And, uh, and it was great. And and it was really... It was really, it really was so cool and helping me get. I just wanted to have a great pocket. I was like, I, I gotta, have, I want to have a great pocket. Yeah. And I, and that really helped me so much because the thing about about it is, is like, you know, after you're playing it for ten minutes, it's feeling amazing, and you're like, it's almost like meditation. But let's mm-hmm. face it, you don't have ten minutes when you're on, in the studio. That shit's got to sound that good From on jump. note one. Yeah. You know? <laughs> you know, so I think it's a great exercise. You know, to, uh, I mean, you know, again, it's like that's why you need so much time because so yeah. much. It's like I get, in the, I get in my, I'm back in this practice mode now, and it's just like Jesus, man. It's just, it just opens up all these windows, you know, and you, you know, you just can't. There's never enough time to get to them all, but it's, it's cool, you know. It's cool to find those, find, you know, find new windows and new places to go. And mm-hmm. that idea of getting there. into that meditative state really gets cool. Like when you're about, you know, ten minutes in or so, and you start, you start hearing where the snare is falling with the click, and you can start moving it, and you can push and pull, and like. You can really start dancing around the click and and really getting control of of whether you're pushing or pulling or you're hitting you know right down the middle or you're laying back or whatever. That's it's a really cool. It's cool once you get into that vibe, but you got to. It takes a couple of minutes to get there. It yeah. does, and it's just it's just good discipline because let's face it. I mean, you know, if you're if you're playing any kind of like pop rock center songwriter, or any you know funk, any kind of music that's groove oriented. I mean, that's the beat you're going to play more than anything. Mm-hmm. You know, one and three on the kick, two and four on the snare, eighth notes on the hat. Every, to me, everything else is really a variation off that. Right. And like, so it, it's also just a discipline thing to do to be to force yourself to do that for an hour, especially when you're young, especially when you're like 18. You know, it it it, it helps you later when it's time to do that, and you know, you it, it helps you from not just going crazy because let's face it, if all you do, it's like anything else. If all you do is get behind the kit and play play all this stuff, it's going to be very hard not to do that when you get into like a, a situation where it's not appropriate. Yeah, but I don't know been, why if, people you, think that like if they don't practice it, it's automatically just going to happen when they play live. You know, it's it like oh, well, we I'll all, just we, play. I'll just play. Like I'll groove my ass off live. 
It's like, well, if you can't do it in the practice room, you're not going to be able to do it live. Exactly. You know, it really, it really, I mean, it's, 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 you know, it's a lot of people don't have the discipline to do something like that, mm-hmm. but it really, uh, I don't know, man. I mean, I, I, again, I was lucky that I, I've always been into like drummers like, you know, Purdy and Steve Jordan and John Bonham. And, you know, I was really into these guys that played these, you know, uh, so I tried to figure out, well, what's make, why does this feel so good? Why are these guys grooving so hard? What is it about that? I really tried right. to kind of figure that out and, uh, and at the same time, again, I was trying to figure out what made Tony Williams and Elvin Jones so so good, you mm-hmm, know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm still out. I still yeah. am. <laughs> you know? Yeah, me too. So the new Sonar SQ1s, yeah, they're sick. They're made out of birch. And the reason why they made them out of birch is because birch has a balanced low, mid, and high range. So they sound great in the studio and they also sound great live. They also have their unique sound sustainer technology and it's rubber on metal. And what that does is it completely separates the mounting hardware from the wooden shell. So you're going to get an amazing tonal quality out of these drums. They actually got that from the automotive industry. That's where they learned about this technology. Not only that, I'm a car lover, so this is super cool to me. The colors and style of legendary car classics were the inspiration for the color selection of the SQ-1. So there are four matte lacquer finishes that you can choose from. So not only do they sound good, they also look good too. Check them out by going to sonar.com. This episode is also brought to you by my friends at Promark and their new fire grain drumstick that utilizes a revolutionary heat tempering process that transforms ordinary hickory drumsticks into precision tools with unprecedented durability. It's no space age gimmick or excess vibration or anything like that. It's just natural hickory hardened by flame. It's exactly the way that they make baseball bats, which is pretty cool. Unlike any other drumstick that uses synthetic alternatives that transmit excessive vibration, Firegrain drumsticks retain the natural feel, weight, and balance that you'd expect from regular hickory. They're available now in classic, forward balance, and select balance across a variety of sizes. You can learn more about these and the great products by going to promark.com. Now let's get back into it with Aaron Comas. So I wanted to switch gears a little bit. I want to talk about the idea of being a sideman versus being a member of the band. So when you guys, when you signed with the spin doc or when you signed the record deal with spin doctors, so were you a part of the band? You're a band member. You're an official member. How does that work? Yes, I am a band member. I mean, yeah, we were very much, you know, four guys in a band together. We split everything equally. Um, you know, we, we talked a lot about that, you know, when we were, I mean, not when, you, when we first formed a band, obviously you just, mm-hmm. you're just starting out, but I mean, um, you know, as once, once the, once you start to get into things like, you know, once there's money involved and you're talking about signing record contracts and putting our records and there's publishing and soul writing splits and all that, you know, um, which can obviously, which can be a, a difficult conversation sometimes in bands. We are, I think we did a pretty good job with everything and really made sure that everybody was taken care of. And, you know, it's always been the four of us from the beginning and, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, I was very aware of how the business worked. I had had some friends, I knew some people that had, you know, they were a little bit older than me that had done well and had kind of seen that. And, I, you know, I was just kind of always interested in in the business side of things and understanding how it works. So I, I was very much, you know, I educated myself um, really just on my own. I mean, I probably took some, you know, like a, a business and music class. I don't even know if I ever did actually at school. I went to Berkeley for a year at the new school, but I kind of just educated myself about it. So I make sure that 
especially being a guy that was in a band that was dealing with this, I wanted to make sure that I truly understood it and we all understood it and that we weren't getting, you know, screwed over. And I think we did very well. I mean, we had, you know, we had good people around us. We had good management. We had, a, we had a really good business manager accountant. Um, and, you know, I don't, I mean, I'm pretty sure we didn't get screwed much. I think we had good deals and everybody did well. And, and I think one of the reasons why we're still together after all this time is because we did set up the business in a way where everybody made money. Mm-hmm. You know, you see a lot, you see a lot. I mean, let's face it. How many bands are still together 30 years later with all the original members? I mean, right. It's really not, you know, there's not a lot of them. There is not a lot of there them. Really, no. There's really not. I mean, there's really not. And I think that the, one of the biggest reasons why bands break up, it's either, you know, just, you know, uh, creative differences, which is a great excuse, but that is a real thing. Or in many cases, one guy gets rich, and the other guys don't, mm-hmm. and it breaks. It break, I mean, you know, and I, I can we can debate on what's fair and what's not fair, and I can I, as a drummer and as a songwriter, I completely see both sides of the coin. But I think ultimately, if you want to keep a band together, you're going to have problems if one guy's making all the money. Yeah. And and that's why we're still together because we don't really like each other. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we're just getting paid. That's why we're together. <laughs> no, we. I mean, we've had. Believe me, we've had our we've had our tough times. I mean, we're not. We're four guys, and we're. I mean, we're really we're like brothers, you know. Mm-hmm. But we're not. But we're not like great friends. I mean, we're not like like we're great friends because we've been in a band together all these years. But there's. I don't think that any of us would really be friends. If we wanted a band together, because we're really right. different, which is we're very different people, which mm-hmm. makes I, as musicians and as people. I think it's been one of the things that has worked for us, actually, with our chemistry, you know, yeah. and somehow it works. But the business thing is really important, man. And it's, and it, but, you know, the other thing is it's it's, um, it's it was also a different time then. I mean, unfortunately, the music business is in such a different state now that it's just become it's become yeah, I mean, really when difficult. you guys got signed, there was like real money. You know, like they, we, would, I mean, you know, there was advances we, and all that kind of shit. Like they I think that. that I actually think that we were. I honestly think that we were around at one of the best times of the music business. I mean, this was like, I mean, our record came out in '92. It didn't. It took a while to break. It didn't really break big till like the end of '93. Mm-hmm. And we had that big run in the '90s, and it was like, you know, the music business was just doing great. I mean, CDs had it was a new thing still. It was three or four years in, so. You know, the amount of the people were just selling truckloads of CDs, cassettes. People were going back and buying old records on CDs again. So there was just a lot of money coming into the music industry. And, yeah. You know, band, bands were getting signed. It was also kind of the beginning or not the beginning. I mean, but it was also when things, you know, were coming in and coming out real quick. I mean, you got a record. Everybody was getting a record deal. But if you didn't have a successful record, you were gone. Mm-hmm. As where I think I think when I was growing up in like the 70s and 80s, you know, you saw bands, these slow builds would happen. Bands would put out a record and then a record and a record and finally maybe four or five records in, they'd have a big record. And they had, the record companies were nurturing careers a lot more. In the 90s, it was starting to get pretty quick. And if you didn't do well, you were out. Right. But in our case, we were lucky because even though it took a while, I mean, we were touring for a couple of years with very little help before that record broke. And then finally, they, you know, the machine kicked in. But, you know, it was our first record. So we didn't owe the, we had no debt. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, a lot of times when bands do put out three or four records and they're debt for millions of dollars, you hear stories about bands in the 70s and 80s that had massive records and they, they still owed the record company millions of dollars and didn't make any money. So we were yeah. very lucky that we, you know, that from a business point of view, we, we weren't in debt. We didn't spend a lot of money on our record. 
um, I think we made pocket full of kryptonite all in for like sixty thousand dollars, which at the time cheap. was not a lot of money. Yeah. I mean these these days that sounds like a lot of money, but it was really cheap. So we were. Yeah, just, I mean, cats were we spending we, two, three, four, five hundred thousand dollars on a record easily. Well, I mean, I I saw people right around that time spending millions of dollars on yeah. records, especially if they had a hit record and they had all. You'd see people come back and make their second or third record and just blow like two million dollars. It's like, dude, are you fucking nuts? That's and crazy. then the record doesn't do anything. They're fucked, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know. So we never put ourselves in debt, even when the even like our second record, which we I don't think we we probably spent a little more than that, but not a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, that record, you know, it, it, it listen. I mean, the first record sold like ten million right. <laughs> around the world, and and the second record sold two, I think, which was a disappointment for the record company. You know, ten to two is pretty bad. Two, it still sounds pretty good to me, but it was yeah, it was it was the it was a, a big drop. But the good news was is we made we never we were never in debt. I mean, mm-hmm. we were, so we so it was just it was a very it was a very lucky thing for us. Which is great too because you sell ten million records, it's just a nice chunk of change, you know. And listen, it's it's been great, and and, and it's shot. You know, we still get we still get good money. You know, it's amazing. Right. I mean, we still get we still get good royalties on the. You know, BMI, the radio, the publishing, the, the movie. I mean, I'm I'm shocked sometimes when I see these things. I'm like, I didn't even, you know, I don't know where this is coming from, but it's people call it mailbox money, and I and I feel very, very fortunate to to have that and to have, you know been in a to, to been able to put out that kind of thing at that time when the music industry was there. I consider myself really lucky and fortunate, and I I wish that that was still existing. I hope there's some way that things can turn around so artists and bands can have that opportunity that i was so lucky to have because it's definitely it's different you know and and again i mean the encouraging thing is there's there's no shortage of great music out there the talent pool and the artistry is fantastic it's just the way the business is set up right now is is difficult and i think that younger people that's all they know so you know it's you do what you got to do but i mean you you know you don't pay let's face it you don't pay the bills with uh with Instagram, exactly. So, thank you. It's it's thank you. It's tough. The you know, but, the, that's, but that but that but that's how people get their kind of you know. There's a lot of. You know, we I don't know. I mean, it, it's it is it is important. You know, for an if you're an artist these days, it I get it. It's it's important, but it's I don't know. It's it's a complicated thing, and I just wish there was a way. I just hope that things can can turn around to favor the artist. It's a great time for the music listener because you can get everything in the world for so cheap or for free. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's positive. I like people to enjoy music, but we've got to figure out a way to even the playing field here because it's just, uh, you know, it's just not, I mean, people can't spend 365 days on the road, man. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's tough. It's brutal. And the, the idea that you guys still get mailbox money and even, you know, even at the time, um, I think the distinction is, that if you were, you know, I want to make this distinction for the listener that if you say you were playing in spin doctors and they were just hiring you, if they get signed to a record deal, guess what? Aaron doesn't get signed to the record deal. And then when they start making all the money, guess what? Aaron doesn't make that money. And when they go on tour, they pay you X amount of dollars to tour. And then you come home and there's no more checks coming in. And that's it. And the difference and the way that I always explain it is if you, if you own a company and it makes millions and millions of dollars, then you get a large percentage of those millions and millions of dollars. If you work for a company and you make $10 an hour and the company makes millions and millions of dollars, you still make $10 an hour. And then exactly. af- after you stop working there, then 
that's it. Or when you go home for the night, you're not making any more money. And I think there is a huge misconception about, and we talk, we talk about it a lot on the podcast, but there's that huge misconception that guys who are playing in front of 10, 20, 30,000 people are night are making insane amounts of money and they're not. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and listen, I mean, it's when you, when you hear about some of the salaries that some of these guys are making playing on big tours these days, it's, it's actually like, I hear some of this and I'm like, it's nauseating. Yeah. I mean, you honestly, a lot, especially in the, in the pop groups, a lot of these guys are R and B and pop, man. Great guys. You, you hear about these salaries. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? Yep. I mean, you know, the, the more up, the older, more established upper echelon, Artists pay musicians great, you know, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of these gigs. The young, the young artists are just getting robbed. You know, a lot of these country guys, you hear about these, the money that people make out of Nashville for these tours. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And like you yeah. said, yeah, guys are playing in arenas and they're making 1500 a week or something. It's like, yeah. I mean, you gotta be fucking, you gotta be fucking kidding me. Yep. I mean, it's, you know, but it's hey, like 1500 pro- bucks a week is good money. Well, but and it- if you're, if you're 22 and that's, and you know, and you also know that like, if I don't do it, then Joe Blow's going to do it. Then right. you take it. But that's that's the whole problem. Is when things get to that point where it becomes the norm, and you love what you do, you want to go out and play. So of course you're going to do it. You can't say, well, I want five thousand. You know, mm-hmm. well they'll say, well, fuck you. You know, right, right. So what do you do? How do you change that? It's it's you know it's just and the only way to change that is honestly it's like it's up to the artists to to pay their musicians better because the yeah. management's always going to try to look out for their artists and try to lowball the musicians. Of course. And anytime anytime you get a gig working for an artist on tour as a as a sideman and you get a really really good salary, it's because the artist really respects you and likes you and wants to hold on to you and they and they know you what you're worth. Right. But other than that it's like it's so it's, for me it's like it's all on the artist, man. Yeah, you know that's. That, I blame the artists 100 percent if if they're not paying their musicians fairly. Yeah. It's one thing if you don't have the money. I get it. A lot of people are struggling. They're out in a van and they're yeah, that's they're barely totally making any money. But when you're playing, you know, Madison Square Garden and it's packed and you know you're selling millions of records and you're paying your drummer 1,500 bucks. To me, that's just wrong. It is. I agree. And like you said, so many people are are willing to do it. And 1,500 bucks a week isn't bad money. But like, well, I mean, it's, and, and it's, you're living your dream. You're living yeah. your dream, but still, it's but like, it's bad it's not, money for the amount of money you should the, be making. The the, vi- the, re- the reality is the the value of that position is way higher than that. Exactly. But un- but unfortunately, it's not because it's been brought down to this level. Mm-hmm. And and people, well, you're not going to get every musician in the world to like start saying no. I mean, if you could go and speak, get everybody to go on strike. It's just not going to work that way. Right. I was talking so, to a buddy of mine a couple of weeks ago and he's like, man, he's like, our guarantees are $250,000 a night and he gets paid $450 a gig. Yeah. I mean, that's just wrong, man. That's, you that's know. not necessary. They have plenty of money to pay that dude. Well, yeah, it's you know it's just being a dick. I mean, I'm sorry. It's like what's why would you do that? You know. I know. What's the, it's just it's just so. I just find that just so insulting, and uh, you know, I don't know. Man. I don't know if it's going to change. Well, it, it may not. You know, I mean, it, the problem is that there's just so many aspects. I mean, see that aspect really makes me mad because the the the, the touring. If you're playing those kind of gigs, I mean that you're making more money than ever before. You know what I mean? You're making right. more money playing in a sold-out arena now than you were 20 years ago. Even though 20 years ago you're selling way more records. Mm-hmm. So that in that side of the industry is actually, you know, it's doing very well. 
So, you know, there's just no excuse, really, for just lowballing people like that. But isn't there a way that there can be some sort of structure to where it's like, hey, if you're playing in this size venue, this is what you have to pay your musicians, and that's just what it is, and people won't play for less, you know? I guess, I I, I, I I mean, I don't know. Yeah, you would think there'd be some kind of... But so much of this stuff isn't, isn't, you know, union-based, and it's just like, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's... It should be that way, but unfortunately, it just comes down to the individual. It comes down to the artist. Yeah, and not that know? I think like if I go and get it, get the gig for Justin Timberlake, right? I don't think that I should be getting paid as much as Brian Fraser Moore because Brian Fraser Moore has been doing it forever, and he's played on. He has way more experience. He has way, you know, he has way more uh, years on me. All, he's, a, I mean, not to mention he's a way better drummer, but that has nothing to do with it. Uh, if I get the gig, you know. But, like, it's the same thing if you're a veteran, you know, if you're a player who's proved themselves over the years in, in an, as an athlete, then you make more money. And I think that and that's, I, and, that's fine. And I do, I do think that if you're a veteran, if, you're, if you have a certain – I think it's mostly these young guys that are going, getting these pop gigs or country gigs that are getting screwed. Yeah. You know, I'm pretty sure that Brian is getting a really good payday. He's been with him a long time. You know, I'm I'm guessing he does very well. And and you know, look, I'm not going to go take a gig and get. I'm not. No, if somebody called me to play a tour and offer me fifteen hundred, I'd hand up the phone. You know, right. so it's like, and a whole lot of drummers would believe me. You know, so it's really just taking advantage of of young talent who are hungry. But you know, at the same time, it's like it it shouldn't happen. But all those the, the encouraging thing I can say is to all these guys out there that are doing that. You're doing it because you love. What else are you gonna do? You love music. You're living your dream. You're gonna do it. You should be getting paid more. But if you keep doing it and you keep doing it, and you keep improving and keep getting more gigs, you know what? You're gonna get to a point where you're gonna be able to say fuck you <laughs> and, right. and and get and get more money, hopefully, you know, because or or you know or you'll have different things going on to where you'll be able to pick and choose a little bit. But you know, when you first start, you have to. It's kind of what I was talking about making decisions too. You also have to make a decision. Like I made that decision to, I could have I could have done that. I made that. Dec- I got a lot of good offers actually. Even when the spin offers were first starting, you know, um, and we were starting to happen. We were starting to get a, do well around town. And I was starting to get a reputation. And I was getting a lot of gig offers. I had people come try to steal me away, and I just said no. You know, I really made a decision. I'm sticking with this. I said, I, mean, I turned down some pretty good shit, and um, so you have to make a decision. Like so, you know. There's nothing wrong with like just taking gig after gig after gig after gig, but you got to kind of, I think it's important to kind of have an idea where is it you want to end up, you know, have some goals every five years or so, write them down. I had a teacher, when I was in high school, I had this great teacher named Henry Oxtell. I mean, this guy was incredible. He taught a lot of great drummers. He was the head teacher up at North Texas State University. He taught oh, okay. tons, t- tons of great guys, you know, up mm-hmm. there, uh, Matt Chamberlain and Greg Bissonnette and I think Keith Carlock, you know, a lot of guys that went through there started yeah. with Henry. And I studied with him in high school and he told me, he was really the guy that said, you know, he knew me. He knew what I wanted to do. He's like, you need to move to New York or LA. You know, you got to get out of Dallas. You could be a big, big fish in a small pond here, but you need to move to Dallas. I mean, move to New York or LA. But he had me write down. He said, I want you to take out a piece of paper. I want you to write what you want to be. I can't, if, in, I think it was, I can't remember if it was five or 10 years, but he said, I want you to write down on a piece of paper. You know, where do you want to be in five or ten years? Write down five things you want to you want to achieve, mm-hmm. and I did. And I pick it up and I look at it every once in a while. And you know, and I think it's important to you, you should have these goals set and write them down. But at the same time, be willing to take a, be ready to take a left turn if something up if all of a sudden something comes around that that takes you on a different path that works for you. 
go for it. Be, yeah. That's why you. That's why preparation is so important. Be yeah. ready for it. You know. Mm-hmm. Do you still but, do that? Um, do you still do you still write your goals down? I I don't write them down, but I have them. Like I, you know, I was like for instance when I started, you know, when I, I knew I was going to be fifty, I was forty five. Like shit, I'm going to be fucking fifty. You know, right. I'm going to be fifty. And I'm going to be fifty in April. And I thought to myself, you know, I, I kind of thought, okay, well, what, you know, where do I want to be when I'm 50? You know, you, mm-hmm. so you think of these things and you, you set these goals and a lot of those things have happened, you know, and you got to keep doing that. And ultimately, let's face it, the, mo- the most important thing is to be happy, to feel like you're being creatively fulfilled. For me, those are, that's, I mean, there's a lot of things in life that make me happy. My daughter is my number one priority in life. Mm-hmm. Friends, friends, you know, a good meal, all this, all this stuff. But I'm, Listen, man, I'm a diehard drummer. So, like, drumming music makes me happy. You know, if I'm if I'm feel like I'm making good creative music and I feel like I'm improving, that really makes me feel good. You know, like mm-hmm. just practice. Like in January when I didn't have any gigs, and I practiced every day, I was feeling it was great. And then, you know, I'm starting to work a lot, but I got this. I'm back in this mode of um, of practicing again and i'm it's rediscovering things and trying new things and it, that is fulfilling that's what really gets me going right you know? right but you know that's the that's the ultimate goal right i mean you gotta you know I say it all the time ha- like you know? it, it all comes down to happiness and everyone deserves to be happy exactly the other thing is if you're not ha- listen here's let's get back to like what it's like to be a guy in a band or a guy in a, a side man or whatever it is you're doing what we do, we're working with other people. Unless you're just sitting in your, unless you're like a guy in the studio making your own tracks alone, which is lonely. You're we're we're we're, we're mixing with other people. I'm ta- I'm in, in environments in a studio with musicians. Mm-hmm. I'm on stage with musicians. I'm backstage with people. So you're you know how you how you relate to people and how you are, how easygoing you are, what it's like to work with you. Are you a positive impact on the room? Are you making the session feel not only are you playing great, but are you making everybody feel good in the session? Are you you don't want to be a downer, you don't want to be negative, you don't want to be an asshole, you don't want to be bitter, you don't want to come show up with all your complaints and problems. I mean, leave that shit at home, man. You see it all the time, but that's not me. I'm I'm always I think it's very, very important to show up prepared. Uh, you know, I don't care whether it's a band or a session for hire. Show up prepared, be easygoing, mm-hmm. be on time, do a great job, be positive. You know, don't talk too much. Don't you know? Know know your know your know to stay in your lane. Like, listen, in a band, it's four guys. We're four equals. So it's like, and one of the problems with being in a band is people get away with murder. It's one of the things that ruins bands is that people become little spoiled brats and can't tie their own shoes. You know what I mean? <laughs> And I've, I see that in my own band, but I've always tried, I try not to be that guy because I'm, I'm one of the guys in the band that's had a lot of experience outside of the band. So I've always tried to bring that, okay, I'm going to be a band guy. I'm going to, you know, carry my weight here, but I'm also going to not be a pain in the ass, you know? Right. And, but when you show up to, you know, another, another thing, I mean, you you really, you know, don't be tell, don't be emailing the management. I I want this flight and I want that flight. I need this room and I need this. I need that. Don't be texting the artist you know i mean yeah there's all these things that people is amazing that people do that you just don't do right you know and it's really it's really important and many times it makes the difference in uh, in getting asked back and um mm-hmm. first and first and foremost, I mean, because listen man there's a lot of great players that yeah. people just don't want people don't want to be around and yeah. they don't work yeah they don't work it's funny i get a lot of people who text me and they're like hey man uh I know that you know the drummer for this band. Can you hook me up with tickets? And I'm like, yeah, no, 
(laughs) absolutely not (laughs) yeah exactly you know like if it's like some crazy circumstance or something like that i might be like look man you know and i have a a good relationship with him but like no i'm not gonna like text you and be like hey aaron can you hook my buddy up in florida who you've never met with you know like no i'm not gonna do that but you know and people would listen being in a band, I mean, dude, that's that's like my life, you know. Right, I mean, I can't right. tell you when I, especially when the band started to, you know, break on MTV and the radio back in the day. I mean, dude, people they come out of the woodwork, man. It's yeah. unbelievable. I met yeah. I met more cousins I didn't know existed. My oh, family, yeah. my, my bandmates would joke because everywhere we went, oh, there's another one of Aaron's cousins. I mean, I didn't know I had so many <laughs> fucking cousins, you know. <laughs> like I don't even know you, dude. You're like my eighth cousin twice removed through a divorce i don't you know it's like yeah. jesus christ yeah, yeah, yeah hey can we come backstage and talk you know it's like oh my god you know <laughs> but hey it's it's all good people get excited you know but you yeah, have to learn as a as a work as a as a guy that it's just like any job you know it's like any or any social situations like if you go to a dinner mm-hmm. you know hopefully you know you don't want to be the asshole that's just talking too much and being a loud mouth and everybody wants to get away from you know so it's it's the same thing and music is such a personal thing you know, we all know that we enjoy playing music more with people that we like to be around. You know, you get develop, you develop friendships and bonds, you know, beyond the music that affect the music. So it's it's something that's really important as well as the uh, I mean, obviously, the playing part of it comes first. But when you get out in the real world, man, it's really, really important. One hundred percent. Learn those skills. One hundred percent. I think that's a good place to stop, man. I think that that uh, cool. I think we. I think we hit it on the head. <laughs> well, good, man. Always a pleasure talking to you, Nick. I'm really happy. I love your podcast. I love listening. I listen to a lot of them. And Thank you, man. Uh, I, I, you I definitely, do you know, in a, in a world of many podcasts, you definitely have a, a very good one. Well, thank you. Uh, that means a lot. So I, I appreciate that. Yeah, man. Hey, man. Well, thanks so much. Uh, yeah, appreciate, thank you. I appreciate doing it. It was, it was great. I look forward to hearing it. As weird as it always is to hear these things yourself, it's hopefully I said some decent shit for you. You always do. All right, brother. Thank All you right. again, man. Aaron, thank you, man. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. See you. There you have it, Aaron Comis. And for all the links and everything that we chat about, you can go to drummersresource.com forward slash session 382. And if you haven't already, be sure to sign up for my mailing list. And on Monday, I send out what's called Nick's Monday Mix. It's a variety of the new podcast that's coming out, things that I'm listening to, things I'm watching, things that I think that you'll dig. And on Fridays, I send out my that's a wrap email that wraps up all the content that was released during that week. You can either go to drummersresource.com and sign up for the mailing list or just go to drummersresource.com forward slash mix and you'll be added to the mailing list as well. So that's all I got for this week or for this day, I should say. And I'm all over the place in this episode. I apologize, but I do want to say thank you for listening. Until the next podcast, keep drumming. And I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.